We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Today, I'm going to share with you about feeding the 5,000. The reason I, I came to it is I was listening to a preacher talk about it, and I felt God say to me, who was the boy in, in the story? And so many of you will know the story. I centered in on who the boy was. And the story is that Jesus is out. He's talking to a bunch of people. They're in a remote place. They ain't got any food. Uh, they need to get them food. And he conducts this miracle. It's the only miracle, the only one of, sorry, three miracles that are in every one of the four Gospels. The four Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament and they record the life and the story of Jesus and the, the feeding of the 5,000 along with healing a blind man and Jesus' resurrection are the only three stories that are in all four Gospels. So it means it's significant. And if you went to like kids' church, Sunday school, any of that sort of thing, I'm sure you would have heard the story. But I think there's some things and some principles that God wants us to draw out of it that I'm going to share with you today. So the context of the story, there's two things that happen that introduce the feeding of the 5,000. One is John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, who was particularly called out to proclaim the way of Jesus, to proclaim the coming Messiah. Um, just before the feeding of the 5,000, he was beheaded. And Jesus heard about that, that catastrophe, that trauma happening. That was part of the context of this miracle. The other thing that happened is for the first time, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. And there's some interesting interchange between the anointing and the calling of John the Baptist and the role of the 12 disciples going out. And when they go out and they're sent out by Jesus, they move from just being followers of Jesus to being apostles, to being those that are sent out. That's what the word apostle means, someone that's sent. And it's really interesting how perhaps some of the calling that was on John the Baptist kind of transfers to the disciples as they are now out proclaiming the way of Jesus, pointing the way to Jesus, which was what John the Baptist was called to do. The disciples have come back from this time of ministry and there's something, if you've ever been on a ministry trip or you've felt called and sent to a particular area of, of work. When you come back and you feed back to those people that are supporting you, it can be quite an exciting time and you can get those secondary illuminations. And the first point that I think is important that we draw out this situation is if you feel called or if you are sent, where is your place of feedback and reflection? It's a really exciting thing when you feed back and then you reflect on that, that time of ministry, that, that time of impact. If you feel that you are called to your neighbors, who do you talk to about the, the conversations you're having with your neighbours. If you feel called to your workplace, who do you talk to about the conversations you are having there? If you feel called to your school, who do you talk to about the conversations you have with your friends? And, and as you talk to those people and you reflect, you think, what's God saying in this situation? And so Jesus was creating that situation for the disciples. They were popular, the disciples had been out, they come back, Jesus was trying to get some feedback from them, trying to hear how it went, understanding their excitement and their enthusiasm, but they were interrupted. People were constantly coming to hear what Jesus was saying. He couldn't get a moment's peace. Sometimes, just in my own house, it feels like that. Certainly at work, it feels like that. Trying to get that moment's peace can be difficult. So Jesus was intentional and he led the disciples away. Now it says, interesting, that they hadn't even had chance to eat. And I do know times where you're so busy that you don't get chance to eat. And 
food in the story of the feeding the 5,000 is, is an important theme. So they went away to find a quiet place. I think Jesus was fairly distraught about what happened to his cousin. Um, but I also think he was distraught about what that spelled for the disciples. If the disciples were taking on some of the calling of John the Baptist, if they were proclaiming the way of Jesus, then perhaps they would come to a similar end to what John the Baptist came to. And actually we know that I think it's 11 or 12 of the disciples died of unnatural causes, died early, um, were executed in different shapes and forms. Um, and so they had a life of sacrifice ahead of them. And Jesus wanted them to know in points of sacrifice, how would you come back to the Father? Just like in Jesus' own trauma of having lost his cousin, he wanted to go and find a quiet place and recharge with his father. And we know when we have a busy day, you might come back from, from work or, or you might get relief from looking after the kids or you might get home, probably not from school, and have a glass of wine, pint of beer, maybe just a cup of tea. Maybe you'll switch off by playing a computer game or, or, or going onto Netflix. But actually the model that Jesus was leading the disciples in was about coming back to God, about coming back to that place of recharge. And so I want you to think about when you're called, when you're doing the things that God's called you to do, when you're having the conversations that God's called you to have, how do you recharge from that? How do you get full up? Um, and let's make sure we're going back to the Father in the way that Jesus was demonstrating that to his disciples. So John the Baptist lost his head. A number of the disciples lost their lives for the gospel. I think it's important that we consider what our sacrifice is for the gospel. And if we're not sacrificing, then perhaps we're missing something. Now, I don't want us to go around and whipping ourselves on the back with whips or whatever it may be, that self-flagellation thing. But I do want us to think about the comfort that we live in. We are, and I often tell this to my kids, we are the richest people in the world. Um, where we live makes us the richest people in the world. We have more than the average income for anyone in the world, just because we are here. So we are a rich people. When you're rich, you can continue to look and you can see someone that's richer and think, I'm not rich compared to Bill Gates but I am rich compared to those kids in third world countries. And so if we compare ourselves correctly and we look to see the blessing that God's given us, then we can continue to see how we can give and how we can give out of what God's given us, out of the blessing that we're walking in. And so when we come back to the theme of sacrifice, I want us to think about what it is that we have to give and let's make sure that we're not focusing too much on what we don't have, but we're focusing on the blessing and what God's given us and what we can share with others. So the gospel should have a cost. And I want us to be clear on what sacrifice God's calling us to. Perhaps just out of our own comfort, um, to think of others rather than our, our own preferences and desires. The disciples haven't had a chance to eat. They've gone away. There's something that happens when you haven't eaten. There's like a point of no return. Some people in my family get hangry, um, which I'm sure that's a common expression. That's kind of when you're hungry and angry and perhaps hunger causes the anger. It's a dangerous place. And if you have to cook for yourself, it's important that you start cooking before that point of hangriness. Otherwise, you lose the ability. And uh, when, when I first um, lived away from home, I learned that I would have a dinner snack, a snack to get me through the cooking process. But I reckon the disciples are well past that point. If they hadn't got a chance to eat, and now it's the end of the day, I think they're going to be really hungry. But there, 
Oftentimes when we're busy, when we're in demand, we can sometimes think we've done something wrong, like it can start to lose the thankfulness. And I remember a time when I was with Judy leading the youth, and we particularly found if we were going away on holiday and we're packing and we're getting ready for, you know, getting all things sorted out with work, that would be the time when everyone would want to speak to us. And it was always nice, people wanting to speak to us. But we would learn after a little while to make sure we made extra time in our preparations for packing to make sure we could do the things that God had called us to do. And that was again part of the sacrifice that we gave. And maybe your sacrifice is about your parenting chaos, your work stress, family tensions. Maybe these are the areas that God's called you to and put you in. When we find ourselves in those situations, it's an opportunity for us not just to push harder, but actually to dig into the grace that God's given us, um, to seek the strength that God wants to give us, because God wants to partner with us. And when we look at this miracle, we see the desire for God to partner with us, not to work in isolation. So there's some things about the nature of Jesus. The first thing is that he's kind of subtle or graceful. So if you look in the book of Mark, it talks about he teaches all day and then he says to the disciples about let's, let's find some food. But actually, if you look in John, when he first sees the people arrive, so he's gone on a boat to get to a quiet place and uh, he was trying to find some time to chill out with the disciples and, and lead them to the Father. And they, they get on a boat, they go across the lake, they get out of the lake and suddenly the people are there. And it says he had compassion on the people, so he taught them. But at that point that he saw the people and he was in a remote place, he said to one of the disciples, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? That was like first the, the first part that was before he spent the time teaching he was already creating the expectation in the disciples that they had a part to play in this process god likes to set expectations for us he doesn't want to catch us unawares and he was setting an expectation for the disciples to provide and to partner him but instead the disciples preferred to procrastinate and put it off to think well let's just hope this goes away and sort it out later or ignore it just you know but Jesus was setting an expectation that they've got something to do because he wants us to be in partnership with him. The other thing I see then is that Jesus is consistent. And sometimes, um, sometimes with my parenting, perhaps I forget to be consistent. I forget what I've said before. I, I try really hard to be consistent. And my, I try really hard at work to be consistent, but maybe sometimes I forget. I don't think Jesus had an issue of forgetfulness. So at the end of the day, when the disciples were saying, the people are hungry, it's a remote place, there's nothing for us to eat, nothing for them to eat, let's let them go away. And I think this is in the context of the disciples hadn't eaten either. I think they were hungry. And I think maybe if they're anything like some people in my family, they were hangry. Um, and so they were saying, you know, let, let's send them away and get them something to eat. But Jesus is consistent. He'd already said to the disciples, where shall we, not me, not you, but where shall we find food for these people? And he comes back to them. He's not got bored of that idea. He comes back to them and says, well, you give them something to eat. At that point, he's, he's upping the stakes. He's gone from we to you because he needed to make his point a little bit stronger. The disciples weren't quite catching it. It becomes somewhat more poignant. Oftentimes, I, I go through a, a season of saying to God, what are you saying to me today? And you know what often he's saying to me today? Often, he's saying to me the same thing he said yesterday. And we're always looking for, for God to say new things for us, for fresh revelation. But I've gone through a process over the last probably nine months now of going back to see the things that God has spoken to me over the last three years and digging deeper into them rather than just looking for the fresh thing and the next thing. We are in a disposable society. 
The Gap retail outlet has shut his, their high street doors, but Primark does really well because Primark's really good at disposable fashion. We are in a society where we throw things away, but actually that's not God's nature. God wants us to value the things that he brings. I think we need to come back to what's God said to me before? Is there fresh revelation in that? Is God still saying that to me? Because he's consistent. So he didn't move on his message from the disciples. His thing was the same. You give them something to eat. Jesus' solution wasn't the same as the disciples' solution. They wanted to send the people away, but Jesus had another way. And that's another point I want us to grasp, is not to just think about our own solutions, but see what is God saying to us in these situations that we face. In our parenting chaos, in our work stress, in our family tensions, what's God saying in those situations? We come back to what he's saying. So Philip, and it was Philip who Jesus had said to in the start of, uh, of the story in John, where will we buy? Where, where, where shall we buy bread for these people? Then Philip says to him later, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that everyone may have a little to eat. And there's an awful lot to draw out of this. So 200 denarii, you've got like one denario for a day's labour. So that's like 200 days of work, like six months days of work. I figured that you'd usually look at the, the 5,000 people, and that's 5,000 men, so you're talking maybe 15,000, maybe 20,000 people in total, and you do some maths like, you know, it costs like, I don't know, 50 people per head, so you multiply that up, and you get to a completely different sum than 200 denarii. I think the reason he got to 200 denarii, if that's how you say it, is because that's what they had. I think that was the disciples' purse, the joint purse, that's all the money that they had. And so he's saying, if we gave everything we have, we can't fix this problem. And sometimes we see failure before we see obedience. But actually, God wants us to lead to obey first and depend on him for the results. We're in a very results-driven society. And sometimes we think, I haven't got enough. I can't do it, so I won't even start. But that's not Jesus' way. He wanted them to make a start. And in Jesus' mind, success is measured by obedience not by the outcome. And if we can come to a place where we start to measure our success by our obedience, not our outcome, I think that will help us a huge amount. If we can move away from this fear of failure, which focuses on the outcome rather than the obedience, I think we go places. Sometimes obedience can feel like a waste of time if it doesn't make sense, but that's kind of the point of obedience. So then we have the shakedown. So Jesus has said, you give them something to eat, They've said this thing about the 200, we haven't got enough. And then there's a shakedown that occurs. And this, when I was a kid, um, probably 13, 14, I used to get together with my mates and we want to go and buy Coke because we did lots of different things with Coke. One of them was our, our belching competitions, which were great fun. It's nice being here with people because I can hear John laughing. I remember John was there with me. And uh, we were all, as kids, we were all broke. But one of my friends was doing an apprenticeship so he always dug into his pocket and had cash. So he'd like sponsor our Coke habit. Coca-Cola, that was. And so th there was that shakedown, like we'd be outside the shop seeing who's got what and, and then we could buy our Coke. Well, that was kind of the shakedown that was going on with the disciples. And everyone's a bit shy to say what they've got to offer. So how many loaves do you have, Jesus says? How many loaves have you got? How many loaves have you got? Not how many loaves have they got, how many loaves have you got? This is a principle that I can't get away from these days when I'm reading the Bible. This is the principle of what's in your hand. What have you got that you can use for what God's calling you to? We are not ill-equipped. 
We just have to see the equipment that God's given us. It might be all you've got is a stick or all you've got is an hour or all you've got is a pound. Whatever is in your hand, there's a principle time and time again that God draws out about using what's in your hand to obey him. I think it's important for us not to move too quickly from the things that God's saying to us and to dwell on them. Jesus said, how many loaves have you got? And I think the, I think the disciples did this. Like, now sometimes that happens when I talk to people. Again, maybe sometimes people in my house. I'm, I'm asking them a question. They're just looking at me like, well, what? it's not rhetorical. I'm, I'm looking for a response here. What, what's your response? What, what are you thinking? What's going on there? And so I think Jesus got this same kind of gormless response. And then he said, go and see. What loaves have you got? Huh? Go and see. He wanted them to, be, to put it into actions. They went and saw, the shakedown happened, and they came up with these loaves. The practical precedes the miraculous. There was something that disciples had to do because Jesus loves to partner with us. And so he wanted them to do something. He wanted the disciples to be involved. And sometimes we're looking for God to do something, and God's saying, what's in your hand? I've got something for you to do. I want you to be involved in this. There was a time I was cycling home from work. It was actually a road that I've cycled probably hundreds of times before. And um, I just felt, as I was cycling, I just felt that God prompted me to pray for my safety. And I've never, I'd never, at that point, I'd never done that before. It seemed, I'd just never done it. And I did that. And then suddenly a lorry pulled over in front of me. And I was like, oh gosh, I pulled brakes and I was fine. I didn't think all that much of it. But the cab driver behind me, (laughs) he thought a lot of it. He was shouting at the lorry driver, swearing at him, pulled up alongside me, said, you're right, mate. Actually, he was on this side. You're right, mate. And it uh, made me realise how, what a close call it was. And I could have not been aware of that because it wasn't a big deal to me. But God wanted me to partner with him. He wanted me to be involved in that part of the process. So he drew my attention and caused me to pray Many times I think God looks after me. When I'm on my bike, when I'm in the streets, whenever I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, God looks after me. But on this particular occasion, he wanted to draw my attention to his desire to partner with me and protect me. Part of partnering is about seeing what we've got to do. We're not just here. Praying is fantastic, but God also wants us to be people that do. Not, not, just, not just pray, not just look, not just wait for God. He wants the practical to precede the miraculous. He wants us to be involved. So the key points, where is your place of feedback and reflection? Make sure you depend on God for your recharge. What's the gospel costing you? Reach beyond yourself and into God and go back to things that God's saying. Rehearse what God's saying to you. Bear in mind that Jesus' way might be different from ours, so we need to seek that. Obedience is a measure of success, not the outcome. And look to see what's in your hand. And finally, the practical precedes the miraculous. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. 
We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.